0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This is the word of the Lord. He may be seated. First of all, let me say thanks from our family for the three weeks that we had off for vacation. I'm sure you were fed from the from the pulpit by by Michael, and um, it was a it was a restful time. Vacation is always a both restful and insane um, because. Uh, because it just takes a lot of, um, it's just a lot of entertainment with the kids. and uh, But we had a wonderful time up in Michigan, uh, relaxing. Uh, the West came down as we, uh, as we made our way up there, so we switched spots for a little bit. But um, we, we are healing from our bug bites, and um, we, uh, we are also healing from the amount of ice cream we ate. And uh, so if, we, if I look a little beefy up here this morning, it's the ice cream that we had. But thank you. No, it, it's, it's important for all of us to rest, and it's important for pastors to rest and to have a Sabbath every now and then. So um, I appreciate the time that you um, allowed us to, uh, to get away. All right, so Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. I intended to go through the end of the chapter, but once you get going, you find out how far you're going to get into a passage. And so I got, I got the whole verse of 22. Um, the Apostle Paul, as you remember, has written or wrote two letters to his son in the faith, Timothy. And Timothy Timothy's a busy uh, busy man. He is busy setting up churches. Um, setting up this church in Ephesus, and the apostle knows that he needs direction. I mean, he needs encouragement. He needs direction. He needs, um, he needs uh, turning from one thing to another. He needs to know what to anticipate as he's doing that work. He needs to know how to deal with false teachers. He needs to know how to choose godly leaders for the church. He needs to know how to minister to, the, to uh, widows and to women. He needs to know how to grow himself in the faith. A lot of these letters have to do with Timothy individually growing uh, in his faith so that he can then properly minister to the body of Christ. All these topics are found in these two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. Um, Sometimes Paul addresses uh, Timothy um, with uh, with what he needs to do in the church, Sometimes Paul addresses Timothy with what he needs to do with himself. and so pastors and other officers of the church are exhorted uh, clearly in this passage and countless others to pay attention to themselves and to those they minister to right you have to you have to give attention to yourself and then you have to give. Uh, attention to those you minister to and likely you need to start with yourself and then go to those you minister to Uh, both of those things are non-negotiable you have to pay attention to yourself pay attention to those you minister to officers in the church must give themselves to self-examination because as the officers of the church tend and go that's where the people of the church tend and go um, that can be for good. That can be for bad. Um, and the officers of the church bear responsibility for that. Just like the father being the head of the household, he bears he he is responsible for the sins of his household, even those committed by people other than himself. The only way to um, the only the only way to avoid uh, such a scenario where we become responsible for the sins of others is to repent and to grow. Repent and grow in God's grace. Uh, the officers of the church must struggle toward righteousness like all the people of God. So the apostle writes to Timothy, a young man, he's probably, when he's writing this letter, in his mid-30s, and tells him once again to flee certain behaviors and to pursue godly behaviors. It's one of those Pauline flee and pursue passages, right? You have to break away from something, you have to move towards something. And these are tailored for Timothy, a young man and an officer in the church. Apostle Paul writes, now flee from youthful lusts. Flee from youthful lusts. You remember that just before this command, the Apostle Speaks to, being, speaks to being a vessel for honorable use or a vessel for, um, for ungodly use, right? He speaks to being a vessel for honorable use that is useful to God. And that, my brothers and sisters, should be your goal, right? It's the singular goal of the Christian is to be useful to God, right? And to be pleasing to God. That is, if, if you, um, I mean, we can boil down the Christian walk into that. Be useful to God, to live in a way that pleases God, and to live in a way that pleases God is to be useful to God. Right? So, the born-again Christian, in whose body the Spirit of God abides, has been given a new heart that pulses with love toward God, And the animating principle of the new heart is obedience to God out of love for God. Obedience to God out of love for God. That is what pulses. That is what animates. That is what moves the heart of a born-again Christian. Of a Christian. Do I have to say born-again? It's redundant, right? Of a Christian. Right? So an obedience to God comes out of a fear for God. Of course, that obedience is not immediate, right? When, we, when we're born again, when we're regenerated, it, it, your, your obedience toward God is not immediate. Um, nor is it ever perfect. The, the, you can go 30, 50, 80 years in this life being a Christian and never come to the end of, of needing sanctification. You will never be perfect in this life because sin continues to indwell us. And the Apostle Paul, being a human being, knew that struggle between the spirit and the flesh, right? Romans 7 lays out that that struggle between the spirit and the flesh. And and yet here he exhorts Timothy, flee from youthful lusts. Flee from youthful lusts. The Greek word used here for lust is epithumia, which translated is (laughs) lusts. And uh, also desires, passions, passionate longings. You know, we get the flavor for it. Lust does it well. Passionate longings. The things you long for, the what you desire. And so flee from, from pa- the, the things you passionately long for. In other words, he, the command here is to flee from desires for things forbidden by God. Flee from desires for things forbidden by God. We're to flee from sinful desires. Another way to put this would be that we're not to covet, like the 10th commandment forbids. We're not to covet things. We're not to covet feelings. We're not to covet experiences. We're not to covet materials. We're not to covet wealth. We're to flee from sinful actions and sinful desires. Right? Sinful epithumias. We're to flee from those things. And these desires come in many forms, right? Think of your strongest epithumias, your strongest lusts, right? Sometimes it's a lust to argue. Not just to argue, but to quarrel, right? To, to, to combat, do verbal combat with people. You have this incredible desire to want to get into arguments so that you can intellectually lodge yourself over somebody else. Sometimes it's a desire for wealth, right, an inordinate desire for wealth. We need wealth to eat. We need wealth to subsist. But then there comes a point where wealth can be, um, wealth becomes greed, right? And there can be an inordinate desire. You live your life not to serve God but to serve mammon. Right, and then sometimes this, these epithumias, they, they, it's a desire to gratify the flesh sexually, right? Straight up, pure lusts. Um, why is it that the apostle Paul refers to them as youthful lusts? Well, first of all, he's addressing a young man, um, who, he previously said, should not be despised for his youth, right? And so he's he's a I think he's personalizing these with that adjective to Timothy, right? Secondly, young men, young men and young women are particularly prone to follow their lusts, to follow their desires. I hope with increasing sanctification and increasing age, there comes strength to resist lusts, right? There should be. There should be a a strength that comes in sanctification. And so uh, the young haven't had had the time to uh, benefit from the work of the Spirit upon them. Um, but, But young men in particular, young women I would say too, are particularly prone to follow their desires. Whether those desires are sensual or you know, or intellectual, right? Young men always think they are right. Young men always think they are right. That is lust waging war in them, right? They, they have a lust to be right, and they can't ever be wrong. At least I'm learning this from some of the older young men here. Um, if you get to be an old man, and always think you're right. It's sad. It's sad when you think you're always right. When you're old, it means that you've never been disciplined up to that point. You've never been told you're wrong. No one's taken the time to do that. Um, so, and and young men particularly always think they're handsome, right? They always think they're handsome, and that the, that 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 women will be living for them. Right? And and that's the lusts that wage war within them. Young men. Right? Um, they, um, generally speaking, though, let me return to the command of the Holy Spirit here. That we would Be exhorted to flee, exhorted to flee, to shun these desires is significant. Just the fact that we're told to flee from inward desires is significant. We're not just told to flee from certain behaviors that those desire that desires lead to, right? We're told to flee the desires. And obviously what follows from that is if the desires are not present, then the actions are not present. But we're told to flee desires. There's a faction in the church today that denies that putting to death desires is A, possible, or B, necessary. They just say it's, it's not possible to deal with um, sort of involuntary lusts. It's not possible to deal, or not necessary even, to deal with them. It's only outward actions that lead to sin. I've been writing about this on the Warhorn blog. um, And in St. Louis next week, there's a whole conference about that topic. There's a whole conference called Revoice. And at that conference, they'll be telling people that homosexual desires are only sinful if acted upon physically. Okay? Okay? And, and they will say that desires for the same sex can merely be aesthetic, right? So appreciative, not sinful, but just appreciating the beauty of same-sex individuals. And, um, and that therefore, if they're aesthetic, they're not disordered and certainly not sinful, right they they will be promoting the idea that sexual identity which is rooted inevitably in sexual desire is a product of fallenness but not something that needs to be mortified or changed or denied in any way it's it's like being a victim of fallenness rather than seeing fallenness as something in itself to be mortified right it's it's in a sense a a uh, acceptance of original sin as something that no one can do anything about. They would say there is a fundamental difference between inward sexual desires and inward intellectual desires. In other words, it's okay to have epithumia that are are longings for relationships, but it is not okay to have epithumia that are longings to engage in slander or wrangling about words. Right, they keep throwing that back into my face. Um, there is there is something special and protected about certain kinds of epithemia, certain kinds of inordinate desires, um, desires for anything LGBT, and notice that they put plus in all of their in all of their promotional materials. This this is a PCA. Hosted event, in case you didn't know that. This is a peace Presbyterian Church in America hosted event. And so they they've protected this one area of desires. Right? This view, brothers and sisters, flies in the face of this verse we're reading: flee from youthful lusts. Right? And many others. We're told to not just kill sins, but to kill desires for sins. Desires for sins are sins themselves, right? This this has been known as in in theological circles as the doctrine of concupiscence. The doctrine of concupiscence, and it ties in closely with the doctrine of original sin. We are to kill sin and kill sinful desires, right? The the, The sin in us runs very deep, doesn't it? Does the sin in you run very deep? Is it more than just actions? Does your mind sin? Do your loins sin? Does your heart sin? Of course, the sin runs so deeply through us. There are sinful actions for sure, but there are also sinful thoughts and there are sinful desires and there are not just sinful desires, there are sinful intents of the thoughts of our hearts. Right? That Genesis 6 passage. Sinful intents of the thoughts of our hearts. Well, that's pretty deep. That's like beyond just our hearts. That's beyond just our thoughts. But it goes to the intents of the thoughts of our heart. Sin goes that deeply. And nowhere in scripture does it ever say, Well, don't deal with everything up until actions. Right? Be at peace with all your sinful thoughts and lusts and desires. But... But just don't act on them. I mean, that is scandalous to even say. Everything in Scripture goes against this. Right? The 10th commandment blows that out of the water. Don't covet. Oh, man. I'm dead. There are sinful actions, there are sinful thoughts, there are sinful desires, sinful intents. There are sinful intents of the thoughts of our hearts. And God tells us to flee all of that. He tells us to flee all of that. We are by the power of the Spirit to kill those desires. We are by trusting God to work in us to change even our thoughts and our desires. To change them. To change even thoughts and desires that have become so ingrained in us. That we can't conceive of thinking differently because since age 13 we've been thinking the same way and indulging the same thoughts. Even those, God says, change. And then he says, and I'm going to change them. I'm going to put my spirit within you. Do you think about this? Do you think about your thoughts and desires and intents? Do you think about that? Or are you a behaviorist when it comes to your sin? It's only what works out. Right? Like the Pharisees. Have you ever thought about the fact that God can change your desires? God can change what you want. God can change what is most important to you. God can change what takes up most of your time by nature in your thoughts. He can change the desires you have for pornographic images. He can change that. And He can make it into a desire for a wife and heterosexual love. Right? He can, he can change desires you ha- perhaps you have as you're tempted by homosexuality. He can change that. He can change those desires. Is that impossible for God? Is it impossible for God to change desires? To change lusts? He, and not only that, not only do we have to believe that we have a God who delights in changing us and only allows those to come into his household that have been changed, right? He delights in that. That's what he's all about. Not only that, he says, get to work at it. Work at it and and as you get to work at it, you will see God my blessings in it. Right? He requires you that you get to work fleeing these disordered desires and that they and that that is going to be the way that he works. I mean to deny that we are to hone our desires is to deny that there is any need for sanctification. It is essentially to proclaim that there are no inward sins, but only sinful actions. So lock me, in a, lock me in a room by myself where the only thing I can do is maybe actions harm myself. But then, then I'd be taken away from all this temptation to say something stupid or to hurt somebody or to do something sinful with my eyes and my hands. Just lock me in a room so I can be righteous. No. No. The monastery never worked. Reconcile Paul's statement to flee youthful lusts with this description of one of the workshops at the Revoice Conference at Memorial PCA. Coming out in the shadow of the cross, queer visibility as redemptive suffering. Presenter Jack Bates, who is a bisexual in his, um, it says in his bio on the website. The LGBTQ culture at large tends to stress the personal nature of coming out. It's up to you to determine how and when and whether you come out. The queer Christian, however, can derive some of the contours of his or her coming, or sorry, her or his coming out from scripture and tradition. The particular manner of one's coming out should be determined according to practical wisdom and oriented toward preservation and reconciliation of Christian fellowship, insofar as that is possible. Further, there is a presumption in favor of coming out for the Christian in light of the possibilities for suffering on behalf of the other that being out in a Christian context provides. The prospect of coming out can be particularly difficult for the side B Christians. Side B Christians are Christians who are homosexuals who have determined that they can indulge their desires but cannot indulge their actions. But he says the prospect of coming out can be particularly difficult for the sidebeat Christian, but the suffering of vis- visibility offer redemptive possibilities that the closet cannot offer. The redemptive possibilities of coming out and speaking of your... Um, Not sinful desires, but sinful identity. There's a difference. Right? If someone comes out to the elder board and says, I'm dying, my lusts are sick. Praise God. You know, but if somebody comes out and says, church, accept me. Accept my inordinate desires. I'm coming out and you must accept me. That's a whole different way of coming out, isn't it? But but don't you see in this 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 bifurcation of of sins into those that are inward and therefore unsinful and those that are outward and therefore sinful? It's all over this conference. Hopefully they discuss it, and hopefully hope, hopefully they they publish it. But um, anyway. That description does not sound like someone who is determined to put to death particular desires, to flee desires that would lead toward sinful and abominable actions. No, it doesn't. And, and you, you fear for those, those men, right, who give approval for others not to mortify their desires. They're giving approval to others not to mortify sinful desires. Regardless, dear brothers and sisters, what desires have you made peace with? What desires have we made peace with? What are the things where where we're running our own revoice conference and would, would say, you know, don't touch these things, but I'll make sure I keep it in check? Is it adultery? Right? Is it adultery that Jesus says if you've committed adultery in your heart? You've lusted in your heart. You've committed adultery. Is it that? Right? We, we do the same sort of peacemaking with our own sins. Do you have uh, desires to say whatever you are thinking? Right? You have no governor. You just have this inordinate desire to express yourself all the time. You have to talk, talk, talk. And expect that people are to listen right and and often that just gives birth to outward sin do you have desires to belittle opponents do you have desires to lust after other women or other men do we do we have these lusts do we fight them do we fight them do we flee from them like joseph Do we resist change when it comes to our precious desires? I I think we often do because we just don't want to give up what we are desiring because even that desire has a pleasant taste to us, doesn't it? The desire for what is illicit tastes good to us. And that's unfortunate. We can indulge our desires even if they don't work out into full-born activities. Why? Why? I mean, why do I even have to say that? Right? Thou shalt not covet. Now, as in every pursuit of obedience, we need to flee and pursue. We cannot just kill and cannot just flee. We have to simultaneously be putting both of those things into practice, or we will fall back. We can't sweep out the one demon and leave the room empty. Now, we must flee youthful desires and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now Calvin on this command helpfully writes, he recommends the opposite feelings. He recommends the opposite feelings that they may restrain his mind from breaking out into any youthful excesses. As if he had said, these are the things to which you ought to give your whole attention and your whole exertion. So flee from this and give all your feelings, all your desires to these right things. Lust after righteousness, faith, love, and peace. There must be restraint against desires, and those come in the form of pursuing these opposite feelings, as Calvin says. Those opposite feelings restrain our minds. And what are they specifically? Righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness. It's right living, the right way of living, living according to the commands of God. All Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Right? You want to know how to be righteous? Scripture, the inspired Scripture, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What is faith? Generally, faith is trust in God, but to hone this a little... It's to view God as a rewarder of those who seek Him. A rewarder of those who seek Him. Do you believe that God rewards? Or do you have this mixed up notion in your mind that that God just spanks? Right? God rewards those who come to Him in faith, right? That's the whole point of the Hall of Faith. Chapter in Hebrews 11, one could pursue a whole host of things, all of which would be the passing pleasures of sin. But by faith, one pursues God and ill treatment with the people of God, right? Faith is to believe that that pursuing God will pay off even more than pursuing your lusts. Way more than pursuing your lusts. Pursuing your lusts will, will earn you hell. Pursuing God will earn, will, will, I mean, how can you even begin to tell of the payout? Peace? Joy? Right? Treasures in heaven? Heaven? In the presence of God with him not, not coming like he came to the Israelites in Ezekiel 20? Faith is to believe that God is, and He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Love, genuine concern for our neighbors and affection for God. That's what love is, right? Love is, is to live in this way. It's patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, it does not brag, it's not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek it its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. That's love. Pursue that. There's a lot of work to be done there, isn't there? Pursue it. Pursue love. You know, don't, don't, children, get annoyed by your siblings the minute they come into your presence. Think that, no, I need to pursue love. What would that mean? That might mean for a 15-year-old to get down on her knees and look the four-year-old in the face and say, you know what, I love you. Let's do something together. It's love. It's patient. It's kind. Peace. That which leads to harmony between people. Peace. Pursue peace. There's a lot of peacemaking we can do. I mean, we love each other in this church, and there's still peacemaking that we could do. Right? We love one another. We get along. We, um, we generally like each other's company, and yet there are ways in which we're going to step on each other and have to seek peace. And, and Romans 12 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So even beyond the church, what peacemaking do we have to make there? So work... Work toward reconciliation, grace in your speech, forgiveness. All these things lead to peace between people. Notice too that Paul points toward the recipients of the peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's with our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who know the grace and forgiveness of God, those that know the purity that comes from the application of God's righteousness to us, which we are to pursue peace with. So... There are marching orders, right? There, in this one little verse, are marching orders. Instead of pursuing youthful lusts, is there anything? Is there anything else we could possibly do? I mean, you think about how much time is taken up with our lusts—lusts lust for entertainment, lusts for respectability, lusts for clothing, lusts for comfort, we spend so much time on those things and we pursue them with with quite uh, an intense zeal, right? Is there anything we can do instead of pursuing lusts, bucket loads, right? We're called to instead to pursue the righteous way of life. We're called to pursue a full trust in God. We're, We're called to love our neighbors and those around us. We're called to pursue peace, between those who are not at peace. And so when I say those four things, would you say that those are your main and happiest pursuits? Right? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Are those your main pursuits? Or would you say that it remains your lusts, your attractions, your anger, your loud mouth, your attitude? Um, do you obey your lusts, or do you slay them? Do you hate them, and then in the next moment seek to live rightly and replace all of that lusting with a with the opposite feeling? Right? Do, do you do you seek in your life today? Today, I'm going to live by God's grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust God. That means I'm not going to. I'm not going to get afraid because I have a hard sales call to make. I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to live by faith in this one moment. Right? I've got, I've got, it's the worst day of my week. I've got all the stuff I don't like to do today. Well, am I going to, am I going to halfway do it because I don't like it? Or am I going to trust God, live by faith, and go forward in that? Right? Right? And and am I going to thrill in that, that God has given me the opportunity to do that, to pursue these avenues of faith? Am I going to thrill in that? Is it going to get me as excited or more so than the porn I want to look at? I mean, think about how terrible that is. That you can, your pulse can increase because of things you want to look at, but you're dead to to giving, been given an opportunity to, to demonstrate faith in the face of unbelief. Do you bear lusts or do you slay them and then in the next moment seek to live rightly, to trust God, to truly bring love and peace to your brothers and sisters in Christ? We have to be active in these pursuits. Do you really expect to live righteously, right? Can we really expect to live righteously when we neglect the book that lives that, that directs us how to live righteously. I mean, honestly, if you didn't read Scripture last week in your private and family devotions, you did not pursue righteousness last week. Let's be honest about it. Plain and simple. Do you expect to grow in faith when you don't know the God who has revealed himself? How can we pursue God if we don't know who he is and what he said and how he acts and... What, what what he does in this world, right? Do you expect to love your brothers when you avoid them? That's not loving your brothers. That's just not hating them. You know, I'm I'm gonna avoid them. I just you know, people at church. I, that's not loving. That's not hating. Right? Do you expect to bring peace into a situation when you when you refuse to repent of bitter thoughts? and think that yours is the only infallible opinion, right? That, that will not bring peace. Before we walk into a room, think of this. Before you, all of you, walk into a room, you should be asking yourself repeatedly, how can I bring the love of God here now? I mean, we're all going to be walking into the narthex going after the church. Maybe, maybe we should say, you know, how can I bring the love of God there? When we're, when we're mulling about afterwards, how can I bring the peace of God into the sanctuary here, right? before So, so when you walk into a, a room, think about these questions. How am I now pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, right? Before we give in to our despairing thoughts, we should search the scriptures for the objective truth and then believe it and then act. Before we determine that there is no right way to live, Perhaps we should inquire of God himself in his written word. Perhaps. Perhaps. This is work. This is hard work. This means being on all the time. It means being engaged all the time. It means being pursuit of what's good all the time. It ultimately means this. The spirit is at work in you. That's what it ultimately means. The Spirit is at work in you, killing sin and promoting righteousness. But do you work at it? Is there a pursuit mode in your Christian walk? Is there a fear of falling back if you don't pursue what is right? Is there any sense that the pursuit of God is richly rewarding? That it's better than a steak and cheese? I know it's, it's getting close to lunch. But these are the things that I lust for. I love steak and cheese sandwiches. I do. Flee youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness. Faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We have our work cut out for us, but it is not work without a mess of hope slopped all over it, right? So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, God gets pleasure out of you getting holy. And we don't get any pleasure out of it? How can that be? It's just not true. This should be the greatest joy of our lives, is to be holy, is to pursue righteousness. God who's at work in you, how can you not be exhilarated by that? How can we not expect that sinful desires down to those intents of the thoughts will be obliterated, Right? How can we think that we are somehow losers when our sanctification is the almighty God of the universe working in us that which pleases him? How is that losing? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? All the more reason to flee and pursue. God has commanded you to it, and with the power of righteousness, faith, love, and peace, will come power over your youthful lusts. It is time to center your lives around the pursuit of righteousness.